back them dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Help Bill Boy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of Meryl Streep in the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. I'm Zachary Scott Johnson. On today's episode, we finish our trilogy of Robert Benton films. Uh, the first one was actually an interview that we did with Robert Benton. Then we discussed Kramer versus Kramer, which won Meryl her first Academy Award and won Robert Benton too. Uh, this movie did not bring Meryl or Robert Benton any Academy Awards, but it's a good and interesting film nonetheless. There's no other movie like it in Meryl's filmography. It is still of the night. It is a really interesting movie from 1982. Uh, please check us out. It, Meryl started an Instagram page for us. So if you look up Meryl Street Podcast on Instagram, you can find us. We're looking at other social media uh, things that we can do as well. You can also email us at MerylStreetPodcast at gmail.com. Please check out my YouTube project, The Song A Day Project, all one word squished together, The Song A Day Project on YouTube. And please check out Meryl's Theater Company, NeverlandTheaterCompany.com. We're ready to start the show. Hey everybody and welcome back to another new episode of Meryl Streep in the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you this evening, Meryl McNally? I am excellent. How are you, Zach? I'm good. What you been up to? It's been, uh, again, a little while since we last spoke. A little bit longer than expected. All my fault again this time. <laughs> it's usually mine, so I'm going to throw you a bone. <laughs> Um, what have I been up to? Um, I think, I think the last time we talked, I had just opened my new law office, so I've been doing that, and then, um, I randomly ended up on the set of, um, of the 2018 Spring Summer Missoni ad campaign fashion shoot. <laughs> you texted me about that. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah. What, what was that? So, a friend... A friend of mine is a visual artist. Her name is Rachel Hayes. And I encourage everybody who's listening to go check her out. It's rachelbhayes.com. It's uh, H-A-Y-E-S. And she makes these stunning, massive fabric panels. They're like color-blocked panels. Uh -huh. they're, they're really stunning. Anyway, she... Um, she started that project here in Roswell when she was an artist in residence with um, the Anderson Museum of Contemporary Art here in Roswell. She put photos on her website, and so we noticed them, and so she did a series of panels for them that hung over their 20th anniversary fashion, um, fashion show in Milan in September, and then they went out to White Sands to photograph them. Her artwork is stunning. Cool. So I went over there to help her out. Yeah. Cool. And yeah, she's amazing. Everybody should check her out. Cool. And there were some famous people there, right? Yeah, and I don't know I don't know what I'm allowed to say or what I'm not. I'm gonna oh. have to wait till it comes out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But there was. There was a famous model there and she was very professional and and very good at what she does and very kind. So, um yeah. Well that's good. Um I I won't I won't spoil. You did tell me who it was and um I I did. I would not necessarily expect that. You know that what you what you just said the kindness aspect right. of it that's not something I would have expected necessarily of this person so that's good to hear. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What have you been up to? Trying to move into the new house, honestly. Uh, playing shows, oh, yeah. doing the... Yeah, I, it's kind of settled into to fall routine at this point. Um, yeah, just doing my best to to get back into it. But I think it's good now because it's it's slightly less travel for me coming up. I live in Minnesota and we, we had snow yesterday and it's still on the ground today. It's not a lot of snow, but it's a little bit of snow. And it's, you know, that reminder that, okay, we're, we're heading into the midst of it. But the plus side for me is it means less travel because, you know, I just don't book as much when there's snow. In fact, yesterday when we got a whole lot of snow here, I was supposed to play in Iowa and the the gig got canceled. And um, normally that would be really not a great thing as far as I was concerned, but I actually really enjoyed it. It felt like an old time, like snow day to me. It, it, like all of a sudden I had the day free and it was so nice. <laughs> it was really great. I didn't have to drive to Iowa. So it was good. Let's dive into our first segment here. The, uh, what have you been watching? Have you seen anything interesting in the, I don't know, two or three weeks it's been since we last spoke for the Kramer episode? I don't think I've seen any notable films. Okay. I did watch David Fincher's Mind Hunter on Netflix. Did you watch it? Did you like it? I'm only uh, about halfway through the first episode. It's one where um, everybody was talking about it, and I needed to check out yeah. what it is. I'm a big true crime person. Are you a big true crime person? Do you like Do you like those shows oh, and movies and stuff? Massive. Okay. I am a massive true crime person to the point where it's a little bit embarrassing. Like I've gone on a binge of pot true crime podcast listening. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, and that kind of, it was kind of tied in with Mindhunter. I just, I've been on a true crime, um, true crime ride in the last three weeks. But no, I generally like true crime a lot. I listen to all those true, I bet we listen to all the same podcasts. In fact, I, I'll give a plug to one of them because okay. I'm going to be a guest on their show coming up. Uh, do you, do you listen oh, to, um, do you listen to a podcast called Crime Writers On? It used to be called Crime Writers On Serial. Have you ever heard of this show? No. Okay. Well, it's a podcast. I'm going to have to listen to it now. Yeah. I'm not going to be on that one, but the, the same folks have three podcasts the same couple that do it have three podcasts i only have two and they have three but one of them is uh, a law and order podcast where they kind of do the same thing we do they watch an episode of law and order and then talk about it it's theirs is more like funny and lighthearted. and uh one of the co-hosts just started a show on hgtv it's called hgtv and me and so I'm guessing because I was I just filmed an episode of House Hunter, so they asked me if I would talk about oh, yeah. what that experience was. But anyway, I, I wanted to give a plug because honestly, I think that's my favorite podcast to listen to is Crime Writers On. It started when Serial, the first season of Serial, exploded. Yeah. And, you know, it started yeah. about halfway through that run. And what it is is four people who just every week find a new true crime you know, thing to talk about, either a Netflix show or a podcast or something, and they review it. But they're just four really interesting to listen to people, I think, and really, it's just a really fun show. It's that one podcast for uh -huh. me that, like, I listen to so many different podcasts that I don't necessarily, like, listen as soon as it's downloaded. You know, they kind of pile up. But that one is the one that I listen to right away every time. So, awesome. for whatever it's worth. I'll check it out. Yeah, I... I just listened to Dirty John, which is at oh. the top of the charts. I think a lot of people have. Yep. It's crazy. Yep. Yep. And um, S Town. 
Yep. Uh, we we could do our own spin-off show. You know, after we, we get through, we get through all the Meryl movies, we're going to need something to talk about. So <laughs> <laughs> never mind, Meryl. <laughs> but, and I are redirecting our efforts towards true crime. <laughs> except there's too much competition in the true crime. I mean, there's so much true crime there stuff is. out there. I we wouldn't. I wouldn't know how to make our mark. Well, and to tell you the truth, I could never do it that well. well I mean, yeah. some of them are so compelling, and the, the time the time that has gone into um, developing the story and really writing the narrative and capturing the aspects of it, I mean, it's fascinating. Like, S-Town in particular was really wonderfully done. S-Town was so interesting because it would like, uh, we're totally off track, but I think people kind of have come know. to expect that from us at this point. But, like... <laughs> At least in the first segment. S-Town was really great, but at the same time, what was really interesting to me about it was like that first episode set it up to be something, and then it was about something basically completely different than that first episode. Yes, which you go down the rabbit hole. Right, which I kind of liked. I liked that there was something that was really unexpected I like loved that. It. But So we kind of got off track. You started to say, I think you were saying that you did see something. What, what, what did you see? I did. I watched, I watched The Beguile. I that was gonna be mine. I just watched that this afternoon. No, did you really? Yeah, I did. I just watched it. I guess last weekend. Wow. What do you think? Uh, I wish I liked it more than I did. I liked it, but I didn't love it. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like a compelling film where I didn't find myself distracted during it, no. But it was stunning. Some of those shots. I mean, it's a really beautiful film i i did i agree with you i love the the cinematography and i like the direction of it and and the acting too there was just something about it that i didn't it felt some it felt like some element was missing and i don't necessarily know what it was i I really don't know what it was but there was something about it that just didn't quite add up i think yeah i think i agree with you i um i've seen pieces of the original i have not read the book um you know, from what I saw, the original has got a very sort of similar feel. It's, um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree. I found myself looking at reviews after after I watched it. I try not to do that before because I don't want other people to necessarily, like, you know, influence how I feel about something. But um, <laughs> as we do a movie review podcast. Um, but I found that, like... <laughs> On IMDb, the first, you know, like 15 reviews, almost every single one of them said like the the original was so much better. And I've not seen the original. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to go back to see the original now. Um, I don't know. Yeah, me too. I just, I was really excited for this movie. I think it's, re- you know, I, I like the, I like the story a lot. And I like that it, you know, Nicole Kidman, Kirsten Dunst, Elle Fanning are all really great um, and really great actresses. So I was interested in the movie but it just kind of I don't know I don't know why I didn't love it but I didn't love it everyone everyone was really great in it yes there wasn't really a piece of it I did not like I mean I but I I agree with you I'm not sure why you know what I think I think it's one of those movies even though it's rather a quiet film Mm -hmm. that is better off seen in the theater probably and maybe because it is so quiet you know, that you sort of need to be encompassed by it. Right. I think I, would have liked, I think I would have truly, I think I would have truly loved it had I seen it. Because I just, it's easy to get distracted at home. Yeah, it is. Well, Especially and... Especially with something so subtle. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and I, then not. 
<laughs> and I was unpacking boxes, so that's probably a big part of it. You know, like you say, it's it yeah. probably demands our entire attention, which I wasn't giving it. And again, I don't mean to, you know, bash the movie because I, I, I encourage people to see it, actually. Like I said, I liked it. I just... I really kind of thought I would love this movie. I don't know. It's interesting because the the movies, that movie when it came out and Mother, which I talked about on the last episode, you know, were considered at one point or another. This is the problem with people kind of projecting award season movies because both those movies had like, you know, Oscar pedigree and um, were kind yeah. of considered front runners and honestly I'd be a little surprised to see either nominated in, in much I could see you know some technical awards but I, I don't know if there's going to be much in terms of or, or like costuming and things like that for the beguiled um, but I'm yeah. not I'm not sure if there's going to be much made out of the acting or directing or writing uh, stuff for either movie maybe I, it's you know it's not out of the realm of possibilities but it just seemed like it was going to be one of those movies. I don't know. We talked last time with all the Harvey Weinstein thing, how much that has changed yeah. the Oscar stuff anyway this year. Although yeah. I'm not sure what the oh, Weinstein, yeah. I'm not sure what the big Weinstein projects were this year. Oh, I read what they were. Um, you know, the Weinstein company is no, um, you know, no, notoriety is the wrong word <laughs> at this point. But the the films they've been working on have not had the same impact that their films had, you know, in their heyday in the 90s. Right. Um, I'm trying to think what films they had. I don't I don't want to besmirch any films by accident. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> they fair. They don't actually belong in the Weinstein catalog, so I'll refrain. One of the things that I thought was interesting and uh, kind of a bummer as far as I was concerned uh, was there was a television series. I don't know if it was limited or if it was just going to be, you know, an open-ended thing starring Robert De Niro and Julianne Moore. That was it was going to be made, I think, with Amazon. It was either Amazon or or Hulu, I think. But I'm pretty sure it was Amazon. But it was being produced by the Weinstein Company. And that has since been shelved because of the scandal um which i think is kind of a bummer because you know it would have been interesting it'll be uh, my only hope again like this has in the scheme of things like if we're talking about the idea of you know somebody having their story heard and their you know their sexual assault being made public like it doesn't compare of course like a movie not being made is not worth that but at the same time one of the reasons that this is such a bummer is because the Weinstein company has pretty um pretty consistently made some great stuff and so it's a bummer that you know some of that great stuff is maybe not going to be made I don't know maybe it will be made do you know what I'm trying to say yeah I think you know what I think times are shifting so much that 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 really excellent quality indie film um, pedigree that they are really known for um, other people will continue to push the boundaries I, I and hope to so. some degree they sort of quit pushing the boundaries you know I mean they're sort of known for your standard Oscar fare so to speak like imitation game and you know sort of epic movies that target your heartstrings and and um, um, you know to some extent I think films like that have seen better days sure and, well did you hear about the director um, is it James 
Jews to pack. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're what they're like, yeah. I mean, there were what? There are 50 plus women who right. have come out and made accusations against Harvey Weinstein, and there's over 200 for James Toback. Right. Right. Including, again, yeah. Julianne Moore, who is, you know, who was yeah. propositioned by him twice on the street, she said. Yeah. I mean, we're just, again, like we said last time, and the last time, of course, we recorded the episode, and it took me, what, a week and a half to two weeks to get it up because I was just too behind with things but like so when we spoke that story had really just broken I think like the day before that story had just kind of started and now of course it's everywhere but um yeah and it's still just starting though and you said an interesting thing you know when I was editing um that episode you said something really interesting because you said the next thing that's going to come out is the the stuff with kids and how kids are treated in Hollywood and oh, yeah. Even since you said that, I've noticed um, Corey Feldman has been really vocal about that. And I think Robert Downey Jr. has come out and said some stuff about that subject, too, kind of saying that that's an area that needs to be looked at. So you called that one. Good. It does. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's been sitting there. It's been sitting there lurking for so long. I mean, Corey Feldman has spoken openly about what's happened to him. Right. But he's never, he's been absolutely adamant about not speaking their names because of what they could do to him and the retaliation. Right. And then, you know, I've known about Brian Singer for a long time, the accusations against him and other kids in Hollywood. It's just, it's just, it's so awful. It's a special place in hell for people who, yeah, who do that. Yep. It's, I don't know. It's, this is a kind of a dark time uh, <laughs> that we're I living know. in. It's, so, I don't know. Let's move on to something cheerier. Unless you had yes. something else that you saw. It's kind of funny that we cheerier. both ended up at yes. the Pagal. Still of the night. Still of the night is so cheery. I think that this is an excellent transition. <laughs> well, at the very least, um, I think it's an interesting <laughs> movie. Um, it, it is. So, the movie is Still of the Night. This is the other Robert Benton-directed Meryl Streep movie. This is one of her really lesser-known movies. This is really a, a small yeah. movie, you know, forgotten about movie in a lot of ways. Uh, do you want to maybe start with the plot synopsis? Sure. I can do that. Okay. Um, so uh, a man is murdered. Don't be shocked. This is Robert Benton's sort of tribute to film noir and, and Hitchcock films. Mm-hmm. And so it's very much structured like a Hitchcock film. Yes. A man is murdered and you find out that he had been seeing a therapist. Um, regularly, and the therapist is your protagonist in the film, played by Roy Scheider, right? Yes. Right? From Jaws. And, yes. And, um, you know, he finds out his his, uh, patient has been murdered, and he kind of starts to... You you get the film in flashbacks because he opens up his patient's file and starts to go through it. And in, in the process, he meets his patient's mistress. Yeah. Who is played by Meryl Streep, who is, for all intents and purposes, intended to be this sort of femme fatale slash Grace Kelly slash Ingrid Bergman character. Yeah, she's the Hitchcock Um, blonde. Hippie Hedren. Yeah. She's the Hitchcock blonde. And it's basically, I mean, it's a thriller. Who, who, Who done it? Right. Yeah. It's yeah. not the most articulate plot summary I've ever given. But it is a. This is a complicated. It is a more complicated one, and um, 
because it is a thriller, you know, I've said a few times with with previous movies that it's hard to talk about it without being uh, without kind of getting spoilery. But I actually think we can probably talk about this one without getting giving away all that much information. Um, and I think so. And, and I'm maybe a little bit more interested in doing that for this one, because I think this is a movie that probably fewer people have seen. And so hopefully we'll encourage somebody to check it out. I did notice because I was looking for some interviews with her from the time of which I found absolutely zero. But um, I think you can watch this entire movie on on YouTube. Um, a couple people have put it up. I didn't click on them, so I'm not sure. Sometimes you click on those thinking it's a whole movie and it's not actually the whole movie, but... It's on... It's on Tubi. Oh, okay. You can get it for free on Tubi. That's okay. how I watched it. Okay. Um, so, you know, it's it's relatively easy to find to watch for free. So, you know, I would encourage people to do it. It's an interesting movie. Um, I, you know, that first episode that we did so long ago in January now, we were talking about different genres that Meryl has made films in, in some of the areas where she hadn't. And I think we talked about thrillers being one i don't know that's one of my favorite genres of movies it's it, i i love a good thriller and you know she's done yes, a, she's she's done a few i would consider the manchurian candidate one and i would consider the river wild one um but i kind of mm-hmm. for, i forget about this one and this one like you say is more of a film noir than anything else i think but it's a thriller it's a you know like you say it's a hitchcock inspired um film noir i don't know there's yeah. a there's lots of Hitchcock movies that this particular one kind of tips its hat to. I think Psycho is in there for sure. Rear Window is big time. Um, oh, yeah. The Birds, that the kind of nightmare sequence with the birds. Um, I'm, and then there's other references Even to Vertigo. Like, Vertigo is in there. Rebecca's in there. North by Northwest. Spellbound's in there. A little, you know, I mean, like there are all these Hitchcock movies yeah. that are kind of hinted at throughout it. Um, even like the way Meryl Streep wears her hair is like a very kind of shout out to Grace Kelly kind of thing. It really is like... Yeah, and uh, Eva Marie Saint. Yes. Yeah. So, and actually, when I was looking at Robert Benton's filmography, this is not his only film noir either because he did a movie in the late 90s called Twilight. This is not the vampire one. It's... Have you ever? Do you know the right. movie I'm talking about, Twilight? Have you ever seen that movie? I do. I have not seen it, but I know of it. So it has Paul Newman and Susan Sarandon and Gene Hackman and James Garner and Reese Witherspoon and um, yeah, also it's a great cast and an interesting, interesting movie. It doesn't. It it's not a perfect movie, but it's very good. Um, and that's very film noir too. And actually, The Late Show has some like kind of. Uh, with L- Lily Tomlin has some kind of film noir-y stuff in it too. So I think he's got some love of oh. film noir. Yeah. So. Yeah. So no what, did, what did you think of this movie? Was it your first time ever seeing Still of the Night? It was. It was. I think um, it definitely, definitely not my favorite. Okay. But... Um, it was very clear that it was an homage kind of film almost immediately, and so some aspects of it I thought were done incredibly well in mm-hmm. that context. Other aspects, I'm not sure they took it far enough style-wise to 
um, because the, the the writing, the script, is such an homage. I think maybe they needed to go the extra mile in the cinematography and and costuming to really get you there. And so um, that you know that 1940s, 50s style of writing is very heavy on the exposition. Yeah. And as a you know, I I'm not sure where audiences were in 1982. Because as a baby, <laughs> but um, I think for a modern audience, it can feel really heavy-handed unless you match it with high style. You know, to really give your audience um, uh, the, the context. Yeah, I feel like I, I don't. I don't know if I go so far as to say black and white, but even just to use um, you know, sort of more 1940s and 50s style shots. And I did notice that he used a lot of shadows. I think. Yeah. There, what do you think? <laughs> I'm there confused was confused by it. It's a confusing film. It's a little bit confusing. Yeah. Um it took And I don't mean plot wise. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I watched it a few times. Um because well, and I'd seen it relatively recently because earlier I don't know if it was earlier this year or very late last year. Actually, I think it was maybe about a year ago this time. I think it was around Halloween. They put this movie out on Blu-ray. And this is a movie that I don't think had ever been released, like on DVD. I'm sure it was out on, you know, VHS back in the day. But um, it was like the one Merrill movie I didn't have, you know. And so I I bought it on Blu-ray. And I watched it then when I got it maybe a year or so ago. And I I hadn't seen it at that point. And... um, I liked it. So I've seen it probably three or four times within the year is what I'm trying to say. And I still feel like I don't totally get this movie. And so, I mean, like like you say, not the plot. I know what happens in the movie, but um, right. there seems to be basically the the ending and the whodunit part of, you know, the who did it part of whodunit is kind of so it seems like so thrown in at the last minute almost to me that it, it doesn't seem fully developed why this person did it in my mind that it's just kind of like, I keep looking for clues right. um, for, for more of a reason why. Um, but I don't know. I, I genuinely like this movie, uh, which is interesting because I don't know if you are aware of this, but Meryl was on Andy Cohen show one time And do you know Uh this? Do you know what I'm about to say? Yeah, yeah. So he said, yeah, he says, name one bad film that you've been in. And she said, still of the night. (laughs) So this is what she considers her her worst movie, basically. And I don't want to spoil secrets. Yeah, go ahead. During our interview with and you know, he uh, he had some choice words about this film as well. And then was also wonderfully gracious. And said, you know, people worked so hard right. on that film and all of my films to make them, you know, wonderful. And, um, you know, to the extent, he, he's basically said to the extent any of my films aren't wonderful, it's entirely on me. Right. Which is just incredibly lovely. Right. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting she said that. I can I, I mean, I, I'm, sh- I'm sure they've talked about it. I would guess they have. Yeah. You know. 
Yeah, I I actually cut out in the Robert inter- Robert Benton interview quite a bit of the negativity about Still of the Night because he kind of said something about that towards the end. He says, "Oh, cut this out." Um, oh yeah. But I think he was kind of lighthearted about it. I think he was just kind of like, "Oh, I like you say." He had just said, "You know, I don't want people who worked really hard on this movie to feel bad about it." Um, so he didn't want to say anything about you know movies of his that didn't work. Um, but, you know, I don't know. There's something about the idea, too, of, you know, obviously a lot of the crew, I'm sure, is still alive and some of the cast is. But, you know, Roy, Roy Scheider is sadly no longer with us. Jessica Tandy is sadly no longer with us. And, um, you know, and Meryl has acknowledged that from her perspective, it's maybe her worst movie. So, I don't know. I think there's a little bit of fairness perhaps in just kind of acknowledging that this is a movie that probably most people involved with did not feel completely satisfied with. And you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a I'm gonna throw a strong opinion out there. Okay. <laughs> Don't be shocked. I I think it may be Roy uh Roy Scheider. I agree with you. I th- I think he's I think he's the, the 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 major problem because he's miscast. Yep, I agree. Because you need somebody in, I mean, you need a Cary Grant in that role. Yep. And I, I mean, I got pretty much zero chemistry between Roy and Meryl. Yep. Which you really need. Uh, Jessica Tandy. You know, the second she got on screen, she knew what type of movie she was in. She knew exactly what she was doing, and I was completely compelled by her. Right. Well, and she'd also actually been in a Hitchcock movie, which helps, too. I mean, like, exactly. she knew what she was spoofing. Or not spoofing, but you know what I mean. Like, he, she knew what she... It's yeah. like you say, she knew what she was doing because she'd been in other stuff like it, you know? Yeah, and so I, I, I think that really is a large part of it. It's very clear Meryl Streep understood as well. I can see that in her performance, like, even in her, um, you know, her vocal nuances she added and... And um, her body language, and, right. and she very much was tapped into, tapped into that. And so I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about Joseph Summer, the, the guy who plays George Bynum. Oh, okay. I think he probably understood as well because he's he's pretty stylized as well. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. don't know, but yeah, I think I think I think Warshider is is probably the major issue with that film. I I agree, and actually the reason that I'm. I don't think it works all that well is because I feel like he and Meryl almost have the same level of energy. And to my, to my mind, like Meryl is supposed to be kind of mysterious and she kind of plays a little bit distant. She plays a little bit removed, which I think works for her character. Like there's supposed to be some intrigue about her and like he's basically the protagonist of this movie. Like he's the one who we're supposed to be on his side. Like you say, he's supposed to be the Cary Grant who we're just right. like he's the cool guy. He's the one who we yeah, the Jimmy Stewart right. And God bless Roy Scheider. I mean, like Roy Scheider's a good actor. It's not his fault. It's just yeah. like this wasn't in his wheelhouse, and that's okay, you know. Or maybe yeah. maybe he just wasn't connecting to it or whatever, you know. Maybe he would. He, I. I haven't seen all that many of his movies. Maybe he was able to do this more successfully another time or something. I don't know. But this movie just kind of, yeah, it would have been interesting to see this with somebody really charismatic because I think that would have made a lot of difference. There's just something kind of removed and stilted about his performance. And again, yeah. I I feel that way about Meryl's performance too, but hers kind of serves a purpose. And I think hers is intentional. Right. Um, 
Yeah. And his wasn't. So it was kind of strange that they were both playing the same energy level. I don't know. Yeah. I agree. So, um, yeah. Do you have favorite favorite scenes in this one? I don't really know even like how we talk about this movie because okay. that's kind of how I, I feel do, about it. But probably not because it's good. Okay. <laughs> so it's um, Gail Gail Phillips. She works at so there's a fictional auction house in this film called Crispin's, which I think is modeled after Sotheby's. Yeah. And um, the one of the one of the dead guy's assistants is giving the shrink a tour of the place. And her lines go something like this. And here we intake all of the all of the artwork and then it's sent down to the auction room. And oh by the way, we've got an excellent blue cross plan that covers full psychiatry services for our employees. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's the most random. She's like, here, take a tour of our auction house. And let me remind you, doctor, that we have an excellent insurance plan that covers psychiatry. Huh. I don't remember that one. It's the most one. random transition of dialogue. I laughed out loud. Wow. I was like, well, thank you for letting me know about the insurance plan. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's my favorite scene, too. Later, that scene. I feel like that's the one scene where where I got actual tension from it. It has that kind of, it's it's that classic scene of like, you know, it's almost like somebody trying to put the key in a, a lock to like unlock something and they're being chased. It had that feel to it because yeah. he then goes to her office and is, you know, rummaging through her stuff while she's trapped downstairs on the phone, you know, competing in this auction. But she notices that he's not there and she suspects where he is and... um you know, so it's that whole, like, is he going to get what he needs from her office be- and get back downstairs before she notices? And then, you know, is he going to be caught red-handed? And, like, there, that's the scene that actually had some tension as far as I was concerned. So I, I like that scene quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. He built he built tension beautifully. I mean, one thing Robert, Robert Ben can do many wonderful, wonderful things. But when, I mean, he really knows. I, he really understands story structure. He understands how to build suspense. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and I think he does that quite well in this film. You know, there's a scene, there's a dream sequence in the film that really kind of disturbed me, and not not in a, I've watched a disturbing film, but it's not a good disturbed. <laughs> it was the bleeding teddy bear. Yeah, yeah. And, and the little girl's, like, position seated in the chair and where the blood headed as it dripped down the teddy bear. I was like, uh, oh, 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 I'm, I'm feeling awkward. <laughs> I didn't pick up on that, but I, I, that see really the, the dream sequences in this movie are really vivid. Yes. Yes. Very, very trippy. But yeah, but yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> you guys can watch it and decide for yourself whether or not you find it unintentionally disturbing I just was like oh oh my god <laughs> be sure to send us fan mail on that on that one because we want to talk more about that right um yeah so one of the things again this is on imdb i wish i had noticed this and asked um robert benton this i should just email him and ask him i guess but like um this was being developed as a comedy at one point like before it kind of had a direction what? it was being developed as like a horror comedy and it was going to star lily tomlin um 
so it says on the internet. So again, like we in the interview we did with Robert Benton, he both confirmed and denied rumors about Kramer versus Kramer. So I'm curious about this, whether or not those were true. But with the the other thing, so it was called Stab when it was being developed, and right. um, it, it became part of the the Scream series you know the the movie screams the the trilogy scream that yeah. came out in the 90s that's like the movie within a yeah. movie of, of the scream franchise in the in the first fantastic in the first one. So, i did not know that yeah that's an amazing little piece of trivia yeah there's a little bit of you know backstory so you know i i can really appreciate that it would be so easy to slide into camp when you're honoring those films Mm -hmm. and when you're trying to pay tribute to those films because they were so stylized and they were so exposition heavy. And you know what? This film doesn't do that. Right. I mean, it is a little dated in that it was made in 1982 and you watch it now and it doesn't doesn't ring as true for a modern audience, uh, you know, just because it hasn't quite stood the test of time. But I didn't... I did not, in any way, shape, or form, find it laughable. No, no, I I, didn't I mean, it really is a solid film. Yeah, no, I I, I actually kind of like this movie. Um, Now that I've seen it three or four times in one year, I'll give it a little break. I probably won't go back to it right away again. But I I do, (laughs) I like this movie, and I would recommend it to other people. Um, I don't want to sound... I don't want to sound superficial when I say this. I, I mean this in a in a kind of non, non-discriminatory, or I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I, I think Meryl is the most <laughs> beautiful she's ever been in a movie in this movie. She is so she luminous is in this movie. Yes. And um, it's just, she's amazing to watch in this movie because she's just, it, it, I, I don't know. It's that it's the, it, it's her hair actually is what it is. It's the Hitchcock blonde yeah. hair thing, but there's just something about like her demeanor in this. That is really just, I, it's interesting watching it for her performance. And I, it, I, I would watch this movie anytime. I, I think it's a, I think it's a good movie overall. It's, it's not among her best work, but I don't think anybody really thinks it is. It's just an interesting Right. movie in her you know filmography because there's really nothing else close to it i don't know film no. no- film noir is really hard to do because i feel like you know if you do it i i can't i guess i'm having a hard time thinking of a film noir that's been made within the last 20 years that's been successful with the exception of probably the artist um you know the the like silent movie uh-huh. thing um I don't, I can't, there's nothing else that comes to mind anyway that's been hugely successful as a film noir within the last 20 years. Can you think of any? No. So it's just a hard genre because... No, it's a very difficult genre. Yeah. So I give credit to them for even trying because it's it's just really hard to do without being, you know, you run the risk of being accused of being derivative for sure. Um, Oh, yeah you run the risk of being just uninteresting and like been there, done that. So I don't know, you know, to do something that is unique. I will say too, that the, again, without saying who the, who did it of the, who done it was, um, it was not somebody I, I expected, you know, there was a little bit of a curveball in there cause it was not the person that I thought it might be. So that worked. Yeah. I mean, this particular character doesn't show up till a bit later anyway. Right. And so, 
um, yeah, you're definitely led astray, but I, I definitely guessed. Did you? Okay. In about a hot second. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After the character shows up, I was like, oh, yeah, you done it. <laughs> but I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good at criticizing that stuff. See, and I'm pretty um, bad at that and kind I'm, of stuff. Don't, don't mean to toot my own horn, <laughs> but I can guess the plot pretty dang well. And that's something that I'm horrible at. Sometimes it's embarrassing. I just like you. Everybody goes, oh, I see that coming. And I, I can't see that coming. So it's easy for me to be surprised. But I was surprised. So for whatever it's worth. But um, yeah, cool. I don't have all that much else to say about this movie. I don't know if you do. No, I don't either. I will mention um, her her monologue towards the end of the film, which is right in line oh, with yeah. Hitchcockian exposition to wrap up a wrap up a murder mystery she she sort of explains her past and why she's been suspicious this whole time right and um you know i only mention it in that it's consistent with meryl performances and that she does a, a, a pretty fine job with it she does and i like that in the midst of this movie there is that it's a really pretty long i you know if you were looking at it on a on a script on a piece of paper it's not that much um, text probably, but it takes up a good chunk of time. It, the The movie takes its time, and um, it it feels like it's a whole you know couple minute chunk of the movie is this long monologue. And uh, so yeah, I like I like a lot about that. I like the pacing of that particular section because it seems like they just kind of yeah you know get into it there. But so this movie is. Um, well- on IMDb, I never look at Rotten Tomatoes, but it's it's a six point one out of ten, which is not bad. Um, the movie was made for ten million dollars and grossed about six million dollars. So it, you know, it it hypothetically lost a little money. I think when you factor in like you know rentals and VHSLs and stuff like that, it probably about broke even back in the day. Um, but it yeah. technically lost money at the box office. Um, so for whatever it's worth just for completion but so the the question is does this rate in your top five either of your top five and also do you have your top five or your your lists oh no i don't have my list in front of me i promised everyone that i would and so i owe you one that's all right i'll we'll, have it next time we'll do it again next time but you it's, don't you don't think it'll fit in, in top, top five. five no I have it sitting. No. I do. I have both of my lists in front of me, and um, it's sitting at number ten in in both the performances and movies. So, if anybody is keeping track, and if you're keeping track, um, I worry a little bit about you. But um, if you're keeping track <laughs> uh, for performances, don't be like us. Public service announcement. But. Yes, I will. Um, actually, you know what I'm going to do, especially when you have your list, I'll keep a running list of our uh, our lists uh, within the show notes so people can reference it if they just get curious about it. But on my performances list, she's at number 10 in between Heartburn and Before and After. And for the best overall movie, I also have it at number 10 in between Heartburn and She-Devil. So that's where it's sitting on both those lists. I think this is the third. Nice. I think it's the thirteenth movie that we've yeah. This is this is number thirteen that we've done. So it's sitting ten out of thirteen, so definitely lower half, but it's not all the way at the bottom. And uh I looking at these you know, lists. I gotta tell you. Yeah, go ahead. What? No, go ahead. You go ahead. Okay. Well, I gotta tell you, it's so sad to we're watching these movies, right? But I have our like adaptation was our first film. I talked a little bit this 
a little bit about this last time. And um, I, I can't remember enough about her performance to decide. <laughs> I mean, I remember I really liked it. And yeah. that's all I can remember. I'm getting old. And so I can't, I actually have to go back and listen to our, our first rankings podcast to see where I put everything. Yeah. So I can keep a running tab. Or watch the movie again, right? It's never. It's not a bad movie right? to go back and revisit. No, it is not. It definitely isn't. It'd be worth it. You have to do that on quite a few. I'm just when I look at my list, the thing that's kind of that's surprising me right now is the Homesman is like at the bottom of both lists. It's the dead last oh. in performances and second to last in in overall movie, and that's a. It's not actually that bad a movie. I mean, it kind of is, but it's not that bad a movie. So I don't know. Um, yeah. Anyway, so would this make your uh, ten films starter pack? Probably not. Yeah, I I think she does other thrillers better. Yeah, I agree. So cool. Well, should we move on to our other segments? Sure. All right. Um, so I think, well, okay, so we have Six Degrees or Movies Meryl Was Almost In. Do you have a preference? Uh, let's do Movies Meryl Was Almost In. So um, the one that I came up with for this segment this week was a really notorious movie. It has no connection really to to anybody in this movie or directed by or written by or anything like that. But it's kind of time period similar it's it's the movie pretty baby in 1976 with uh susan sarandon and um have you seen that movie um no but i know what it is that movie is really notorious for a couple reasons but the most the most really icky out of all of them at this point is that brooke shields has several nude scenes and she was like 12 and we're talking like full nude scenes it wasn't just i mean it wasn't kind of subtle it was just fully nude kind of stuff yeah and uh so that movie has <laughs> kind of had a different place in the landscape so anyway uh, apparently meryl was at one point or another considered for the susan sarandon role and that which is kind of interesting in that that movie was made probably in 1975 because it came out in 1976 so that would have been before any other movie that she made um and that would have been, you know, a, a lead role in a pretty big movie. So I don't know. That's one of those that I yeah. guess it's it's maybe true, maybe not true kind of thing. So who knows? But so that's that one. And uh, I, for the uh, Six Degrees, did we do Tom Hardy? Is that who we were doing? I don't remember. I think it was Tom Hardy. Um, Tom Hardy? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm going to have to think of one on the spot. Tom, I do. I love Tom Hardy. I think we've talked about this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's fantastic. I was, I was watching Tom Hardy before he was Tom Hardy. Not that I can claim credit for that, but you know, I'm as listeners probably know, I am a masterpiece theater junkie and Mm. his career basically started in masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. He's a very good actor. He's a very good actor. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Any, anything come into mind? Yes. Okay, he did This Means War with Chris Pine, yep. who was in Into the Woods with Meryl Streep. Yep, also Reese Witherspoon, who was in uh, Rendition with her. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, th- that movie has come up before uh, with Jenny Slate. We talked about that movie. Um, and actually, in that movie also is Angela Bassett, who did Music of the Heart with Meryl. 
because I remember that was one where we got three out of it. So actually, we could have gone, well, whatever. Um, <laughs> we, we, there's a lot of connections in that movie. Um, yeah. But that's a good one. That's a very good one. He was also in, he, he's done two movies with Leonardo DiCaprio. He did The Revenant and uh, Inception with Leonardo DiCaprio, who was in Marvin's Room with Meryl. I had one other. Oh, um, he was in uh, pretty notorious because of the voice that he used for The Dark Knight Rises, which was also featured uh, Anne Hathaway as Catwoman, and she was in Devil Wears Prada. Oh, awesome! Can you think of oh, anybody? Man, there are a lot. Yeah, yeah. Tom Hardy's one of those character actors who's been in you know some interesting stuff with a lot of people now. Can you think of anybody for our uh, next? It's hard to. I would really love to pick somebody that's like so out there. But yeah. really, you can connect anybody to Meryl Streep. I know. I've got one idea that, oh. that might fit okay. the might fit the kind of out there. How do you feel about John Hawks? Do you know who John Hawks is? Oh, yes. That's an excellent one. I like it. Okay. Do it. Let's do... So we're going to do John Hawks for our next one. Um, yeah, I really like him and as an actor If you don't know who he is, go look him up. He's a brilliant brilliant character actor he is um the sessions that movie he did with helen hunt is just amazing how i have not seen it oh he is so good in that movie so good in that movie i believe it yeah he's, he's wonderful in uh winter's bone yeah yeah the he, movie that made jennifer lawrence famous so he's wonderful in everything you yeah. really can't go wrong with john Hawks. he really is he really is one of the greats so <laughs> thanks yeah this um I hadn't thought about that one, but uh, there you go. We have picked our next movie. Uh, Meryl, you want to tell them what it is? Yes, House of the Spirit. Yeah. We're headed into the 1990s. That's right. Again. Yeah, for anybody who is either new to our show or, um, you know, has forgotten, we, we're doing decades. So we did, you know, a 70s movie, Kramer versus Kramer, an 80s movie, Still of the Night, then a 90s movie, 2000s, 210, and then we'll go back to uh, the 70s and start the cycle all over again. So we find ourselves in the 90s, and Meryl, you chose House of the Spirit, so I'm curious to uh, find out why this one was was chosen. Do you, Have you seen this movie, House of the Spirits? I have seen this movie. I saw it, I saw it pretty close to when it came out. I oh, okay. I was pretty young, probably a little too young. And um, But I've also read the beautiful book by Isabel Allende. Oh, okay. That's great. Um, when we yeah. and I was really just in the mood for a period film. Oh, okay. Well, and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of really interesting stuff to talk about in this movie. It's been a while since I saw it, yes. but um, yeah, I think one of the things we'll probably end up talking about is kind of the, the whitewashing in, in terms of casting yes. of this movie because that's kind of one oh, of the yeah. things it's very notorious for. So, um, but I'm curious to, to revisit it. It has honestly been a very long time since I watched this movie. So I'm curious to go back to it. So I look forward to it. Cool. Well, awesome. yeah, we're good to go. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll be back as soon as we can with House of the Spirits. That's all.